We're turning to the Word of God and to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and open your Bible there. You are very welcome tonight, and thank you for coming. And we trust the Lord will minister to you, and if you can, stay on for the time of prayer afterwards. Just open your scriptures there, and we'll be turning to one more scripture before the end of the message tonight. According to the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 32, there are three kinds of people, only three kinds of people uh, on the earth. The The populace of the earth has, according to the Apostle Paul, Three kinds of people, they're divided into three. Very interesting verse, that, and very interesting to study. Listen to what he says. Give no offense neither to the Jews, nor the Gentiles, nor the church of God. Within that ambit, you have the earth's population. The Jews, Israel, uh, scattered across the broad acres of the whole earth tonight, wherever you go, you'll find the Jew. The Jew are God's chosen people, not his favorite people, as some would say. God has no favorite. He has friends, but he has no favorite. Nor is Jesus his favorite son. Jesus Christ is God's beloved Son. But the nation of Israel is his people. My servant whom I have chosen against all the people in the face of the earth. So you have the Jew. Secondly, you have the Gentiles. The Gentile people are everybody who are not Jews the Muslims, the Jehovah Witnesses, the Hindus, the Catholics, the Protestants, Church of Ireland, Church of England, agnostics, atheists, wherever you go, you have Gentile people and Jewish people. But then there's the third type of people, and that's where we belong tonight. I hope you do, and most of us, I'm sure, here do the Church of God. The church of God. That's the ecclesia, it's not the building. It means the called out ones. Ones that are called out from the Jews. One that are called out from the Jehovah Witnesses, from the Mormons, from the Catholics, from the Protestants. One who is called out of darkness into light and brought out and translated into the kingdom of his dear son. The church of God the people of God, the chosen people of God. Now, within these three types of people that make up the world, the universe, the cosmos, within that, within that there is the three, but then within the church of Jesus Christ, there are two kinds of Christians. And that's very clear in the Word of God. 
Within the church of God, the called out ecclesia, the church of God, the people of God, whatever denomination you belong to, born again, saved by grace, there are two types of people within that. There's the believers, all, we're all together believers. Look at chapter 3 and verse 1. Look at what he says. Now he's speaking to the church at Corinth. This is Paul's second missionary journey. He has been 18 months in Corinth, and he's speaking to the people of Corinth. And he says this in verse 1, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. Now just stop there for a wee moment. Now he's calling them babes so they're born. He's calling them babes because they're in born again and they're in the church of God and he calls them brethren. I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual. But he's differentiating here between the spiritual and the carnal. Now that's very clear and I hope that you, I hope that you see that very clearly tonight. He's speaking unto spiritual people and he's speaking unto carnal people but they're both Christian people. There's the spirit-filled Christian and there's the carnal, fleshly, worldly Christian. The mature and the immature. I did a series in 2012 here on the divided church and we went through 1 Corinthians uh, every Thursday night it was at that time. So here we have baby Christians and we have grown up Christians. That's what Paul calls them here. Born, believers, brethren, but two types of Christian. He says, I have to speak to some of you as I speak on to babies. Uh, well, a baby is someone who's still in the cot and still in the pram and still with a dodo and still kicking their feet and kicking out their blankets and playing with rattles and bottles. That's what a baby is. That's what we know very well what a baby is. So Paul says, I need two messages. I need a message for the spiritual and I need a message for the carnal because the two of them doesn't understand the same language. And I understand that this epistle was written six years after the church at Corinth was founded. And you look at what he says in verse 2. He says, I have fed you with milk. And not with meat. And he didn't give them the milk. We all get the milk when we get saved, the milk of the word. But we have to go on from the milk to the meat. And this is the problem. Many Christians don't go on. They stay on the milk. Immature. They're not in the word. They're not in the meeting. They're not in the prayer. They're not, in the, they're not going on. They're just stay from day to day. This very And year to year. And many years. They stay as babes in Christ because they don't go on. Verse 2, he says, I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it. And then he says this, Neither yet now are ye able. Neither yet now are ye able. They can't take the meat. He can't wean them off the milk. Years, years saved and no change. Now many of you know we have a grandson, Pat and I, Jonah. 
He's a mind of a five-year-old. He'll be 21 in May. He has never matured, and that's not his fault, but it's your fault. It's the carnal Christian's fault if they don't mature, for you have everything here to make you mature. Now, what I, now how I speak to Jonah, I know how to, we know how to speak to Jonah, but I, the message I would speak to Jonah, I can't speak to Pat. I can't speak in that language because he wouldn't understand. So I have to have, I have, to have two messages. And I think one of the most difficult things for a minister, for a preacher, is when he comes to a congregation of people, he has to have two messages. Because there are those in the congregation, and I'm 35 years in here, and I know that there are those in the congregation who the very basic doctrines and very basic truths, they don't understand it. Some of them saved years and years. And you can see them sleeping and twitching and turning about, and you know well that they're not really getting it. So it's very difficult to, to feed the hungry and the, and the believers and the praying people and the people that want to go on and the spirit-filled people to give them the word. And then you have to have something for the others as well. I suggest that those that are like that should be in the Friday night meeting. Uh, there should be in the crash there. There's plenty of rattles and buns and stuff and tractors and you can play about there. Well, that's just what it is. Imagine a 50 or 60-year-old man playing with the wee tractor and his knees over and the thing. Well, that's what he's saying. He says there are babes. There are babes in Christ. Now, no better church than the first, uh, than this Corinthian church to show us the results. Now, I'm laying the foundation tonight and you just hold tight and you'll know where I'm going. There's no other church other than this First Corinthian church that sets, the, that sets the scene of a divided church and an immature church in the church at Corinth. It's just all together here. You know, in all my years as minister, I never had any problem here with a spirit-filled, hungry, desirous man that's praying and wanting to go on with God. Never had. But boy, I have had plenty of trouble with the carnal babies who fling the rattle out at the first wee thing they get out of the cot. There's plenty of trouble. I never had. Now, if you have a spirit, you'll hold a spirit-filled man. He'll not be afraid to say something to you. He'll say something to you. And he'll point out something to you which is right and which you have to take at times. And if he steps over the mark, he'll apologize to you. There's a different in a spirit-filled man and a carnal man. And there's a great difference. There's an awesome difference. And if every man and woman in the church were spirit-filled and every man and woman in the church were feeding on the Word and feeding on God, then we would be in revival. We would, have, we would be filled in every meeting. This place would be full tonight, people hungry and coming for the Word of God. Now what I'm doing here is I'm setting the foundations for the subject that we're going to preach on tonight and other nights, surviving the sifting. For as we come down into the last days, the carnal and the spiritual are going to be separated. They're being separated in a measure at the moment, but as we come down into the last days and into the fierce opposition that's coming upon the church we're, the, the carnal and the spiritual are going to be separated. 
like the wheat and the tares, they're growing together at the moment, but there's coming a day when they'll be separated and sifted. There'll be a sifting and there'll be a removing and there'll be a separating in the church for those who are going to go through, stand for God and hold on and pray and cry to God because it's, there's going to be a, skit, a, a, a terrible a, a scattering. You see, let me just give you a brief resume of this church at Corinth, and then you'll see where, where we're coming from. You go through the list of things that happened in the church at Corinth because of carnality. It didn't happen because of spirituality. It happened because of carnality. And they're happening in every church tonight, and because of that, it's carnality. It's the flesh. It's men and women who are saved men and women, but yet they never went on and never went through. They never matured. Now you listen. You just listen to what went on at this church of Corinth. The first thing that went on in it was, was popularity. They began to glory in men. Some says, I like Paul, and some says, I like Apollos, and some says, I like Peter. That's a disaster in the church. Now, I, I, a man comes to me many times, when's Alan coming? When's Alan coming back to preach? And you'll not see him only when Alan's there. Well, that's a recipe for disaster. That's an awful way to carry on getting your eyes on men. Don't be getting your eyes on men. Don't be worrying whether Steve and me are preaching or anybody else preaching. If you have a hunger for God and you're longing for God, you'll come. So the first thing was popularity. Then there was immorality. There was fornication in the church. There was incest in the church amongst, the, among, amongst these people. Adultery. And then you had marital problems. There was divorce and remarriage and... Um, when a woman should leave and when a man should stay. And you have all that in, in this. This all went on. This whole carnal stuff went on. And then there was, there was legality. Uh, they, they took one another to court. Paul says, dare go to law with another believer. They were taking believers to court. There was doctrinal head covering in the Lord's table. So spiritual, the gifts of twelve and chapter 12 and 13, they're, over, they're all at one another over these gifts. And then there was her heresy, 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, how some of you, how do some of you say that Christ has not risen from the dead? They've even went back to believe that there was no resurrection somewhere. That's carnality in the church. Now, I don't think when it comes to the rapture of the church that the Lord's going to rapture a crowd like that. I don't believe he is. And so there's going to be a separation there's going, to, there's going to have to be a separation amongst uh, these different people. There has to be a purifying and, 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 and a cleansing and, and the going out and the going through and the going on, like, going on like God. Hebrews 12 and verse 27 says this, Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And there is a shaken coming. And the words of Moses... After the episode, do you remember Moses after the episode of the golden calf? He made this plea to the people. Who is on the Lord's side? Let me ask you, are you fully on the Lord's side tonight? For that's the call that we're going to have to make every night here. That's the call that will have to go out to the church today. Who is fully on the Lord's side? Now, what I want to do tonight is to give you an introduction and to give you an outline 
uh, or a summary of those in the Scripture who survived the sifting and those who didn't survive the sifting. And uh, I'm going to set the scene for the following nights and we'll close off if we have time with one of them. I'm going to set the scene for the following, fo- following night. Sometimes, let me make this very clear, sometimes it's God that does the sifting and sometimes it's the devil that does the sifting. But remember, even when it's the devil's doing the sifting, and that's what happened with Peter, because the Lord says to Peter, the devil has the, Satan has desired to have you, that he might sift you as wheat. And even though Satan's doing the sifting, God's in control of it, he's managing it, he's allowing it, and he's allowing it for your good or for your purpose. And if you're going through some trial tonight and some burden tonight and there's things happening in your life, don't be too quick sometimes just to blame somebody else. There's a balance there between God. It's God's at work. It may be just be the Lord that's sifting you and the devil has nothing to do with it. And sometimes the Lord sifts and shakes and I'll give you a wee illustration in a moment what sifting means. He shifts and shakes and he rattles and he disturbs and he agitates and God does that in order to get us on the track. To go, in order to get us going again if we are got back. In order to to test us and to try us and to show us uh, different things. Uh, you see, we heard about Job. Well, he was, he was tested, and uh, Peter, he was tested, and uh, right through the Word of God, there's those who, who are testing. Now, let me tell you what sifting means. And I can't, when I find a better illustration in this, I'll give it to you. And the illustration I'm going to give, some of you have heard me at this before, but I'm going to tell you tonight, again, some have heard me at it before. It's this. My father owned a farm of land down on the shores of Loch Iron. There was one mile of its shoreland, one mile shoreland, full of timber and all sorts of stuff. But... Loch Ern had too much water in it in those years. And the water came in right up onto the bank, up through the, into the shore, the whole shore, which would have been a mile long and would have been from here to the barn over there wide. All was flooded with water. And that was all the farmland up that lower Loch Ern. So the, the, the government decided to do something on the they started a scheme. They shut the gates up at Petora and then the Skillen to not let the water from the upper lock down into the lower. And they devised a scheme down in Ballyshannon a few miles down <coughs> across the border to let the water out onto the Atlantic. And a lot of work went on. They dredged the river away down towards Balik and they dredged it away down below our house. But whatever happened, whether they let out too much water or not, but we lived, where we lived there was a bay. And all my days, all I could see that bay, I remember many times walked out in it and walked out in, in, in to sand on it and uh, didn't know what else was on it. But whenever they let the water away, it not only drained out from the shores, but it drained out the, it drained out the whole bay. Large bay the size of this site here. And it drained it all out and left all sorts of things were exposed. There was a canoe an old canoe from 1500 or something, it's up in the museum. We pulled it out and dug the sand out of it and 
told the people about it and they took it away. It was, the last thing I heard it was up in the zoo, up, up on a museum away up in Belfast there. So then there was old fishing stuff and there was all sorts of stuff. But there was a wealth of sand. Oh my, there was two or three foot deep of sand. And so it happened to be that my father was building a, two buyers, at the, a buyer and a sailor pit at the time. So he got all the tractors in the country and all the trailers in the country because we knew that it wouldn't be long until it be flooded out again. And we started to draw the few hundred yards, draw the sand up to the house. And um, it was great crack on the tractors. I was 15 or 16 and we were racing up and down and in down to the shore and gathering up the sand and bringing it up. And we piled it away up at the house. And then the boy that was coming to build, he was a wee Welshman. He married a woman not far from us and he was over here. He was a builder and he was going to do the building. And I'll never forget the day that he came over to the big pile of sand. He had a pipe in the side of his mouth and he put his hand into the sand and he lifted it up and he shook. And he shook it like that. And all was left in his hand was a load of wee pebbles and stones. He says, you couldn't build with that. Can't build with that. So my father, the next day when he came home from the creamery in the back of the lorry, he had two big sieves, 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 big things like drums. And of course, the tractor driving was over and the crack was over and now it was the working. And these big sieves and there was a boy with a shovel and the sand was half wet and it was weighty stuff and he'd shovel it in and you'd have to shake. Shake. I tell you, it was hard work. And every bit of that had to be shook. And then you'd get some ignorant boy and he'd pile up the sieve on your boy and, and, and you'd hardly be able to lift it. They'd take two to shake it. And all that dust and all that dirt and all that stones and everything else had to be cast away until the sand was purified and ready for bed. Now that's what sifting is. If you want to know how the devil sifts you and how God sifts you, that's how you'll know. There'll be a rattling and there'll be a shaking and there'll be an upheaval and things will not be going the way you want them to go. And there'll be a disturbance and sometimes you'll not know why it's there, what's happening in the family, what's happening in the health. But there is a shaking if you're a true born again believer. There's a shaking and a sifting. And if you're a carnal believer, God's trying to get you back into the track or get you into, the, into a life of spirituality and joy where you should be. That's what sifting is. Agitated. Uh, um, Disturbed and unsettled. I'd be God speaking to some of you tonight and that's just where you are. He's trying to get you into something that you maybe don't want to go. He maybe has a plan for your purpose and you're fighting against it. Well, then you'll be rattled. He'll rattle you. God knows how to rattle you, I tell you. He knows how to sift and shake and get your attention. You better take heed to it. Now let me just give you let me just give you a few tonight and let me get it into your mind what I'm thinking about. Because as I study this shift, this carnal and spiritual and this shifting and this shaking that God does amongst people. I found it, a lot of it in, in families and in fellowships. 
Very interesting. Do you know, everybody's not on the same spiritual level in the home. You could be on a different spiritual level than your wife. You could be a carnal Christian and your wife could be a spiritual Christian. Maybe not just... It can be with a son and a daughter. It can be with a father and a mother. There's different, 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 different... In the church, in the assembly, as I say, and in the home and in other places, in life, in work... Different Christian, different spiritualities. Now, if you want uh, illustrations for that, the, the, the Bible's full of it. Full of them. If you're wondering what I'm going to do in the next Thursday night and preach, I have plenty of material. I have plenty of material on those who, who, who stood the sifting and those who didn't stand the sifting. Those who came through and those who didn't come through. I'm talking about believers. What about Abram and Lot? Both were in the same family. Both knew the same things. Both went into the fullness of affliction. Both of them. But Lot didn't survive. Didn't survive. What about Jacob and Esau? Same family. Same mother, same father, same teaching. Esau didn't survive the sifting. What about Ruth and Orpha? Sometimes we neglect. Do you know that, that Orpha just went through as much as Ruth went through? Do you know that both of them were in the sifting? Both of them were, in, were agitated and shaken and tipped. And both of them headed out. And both of them were heading away with Naomi. But Orpha, stiff-necked, that's her name, that's what her name means. She turned back, didn't survive. What about the two thieves? Saw the same Savior, heard the same thing, did the same things. One didn't survive. What about Paul and Demas? What did Paul say about Demas? I tell you, he, Demas, was some man that was preaching with the Apostle Paul and ministering with the Apostle Paul. And traveling with the great apostle that wrote 14, 13, 14 epistles. I tell you, Demas was a gifted man. I've ever, I, nobody, you weren't with Paul unless you were meant business. Yeah, there was no carnal boys following Paul. Demas has forsaken me. He didn't stand the sifting when it came to the bit. What about Joseph? Time doesn't talk, tell me to talk. What about the three Hebrew children? What about Esther? What about Job? What about Daniel? And on it goes. Stood the sifting. Now, I want you to turn with me to Genesis 4 because I'm going to do one tonight here. And Genesis chapter 4 is the only place that I can think to start. 
Because, remember this now, in Genesis chapter 4, we have the first mention of division and strife in the home. You know the story of Cain and Abel. We have the first family fellowship split and dispute. Now let that sink in. It's the beginning. Genesis is the book of the beginnings. This is the beginning here. This is the first time in this chapter with this family that we get sin mentioned. In verse 7. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. If thou doest not well, I'll explain that, I'll explain that to them in sin. Now, sin has been referred to all the way down to here before now, but this is the first time it's mentioned. And it's the first time the blood is mentioned in verse 10. So when you get two mighty doctrines like this mentioned for the first time, the sin and the blood, then we need to take heed. We need to be very, very careful that we study these scriptures. So here we have a sifting that's going to go on, as you'll see, as I come to a close, and I hope to be finished at nine. There's a sifting. This here, this family is a powerful exhibition, an illustration of the first days in Genesis and the last days in which we live in. Jesus tells us that. I don't want you to miss this tonight. Remember Jesus says, as it was in the days of Lot, and as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man, these days in which we live in. Now I want to make this, get this over to you tonight because many people don't know this, or don't, I think know it. Many people don't know that the days of Noah started in Genesis 4 with Cain and Abel. And it went on to the end of the flood in chapter 10. Those were the days of Noah. And the days of Lot started in chapter 11 because that's where he's first mentioned. And went on to chapter 19 whenever he fled out of Sodom and Gomorrah from the flames. And you know that story. From the fall to the flood and from the flood to the fire are the days of Noah. If this is the case, and so it is, what went on in the days of Cain and Abel goes on in the last days in which we live. That's what Jesus said. So what went on in this family? What went on in the days of... Not thinking about, no, thinking about Noah now, we're just thinking about the days of Cain and Abel. What happened? Well, you have the first murder. 
murdering. Look at verse 8. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. Now Abel was a, was a young man. And if you look at verse 22 of that same chapter, Verse 23 of that same chapter, at the end of it, you have another young man murdered. Do you see that? So that's the first of the murdering. Many young men are being slain on our streets tonight and in the past year. In London cities, as it was in the days of Noah. What about abortion? Slaying them in their thousands. This was started. This is where the murdering started. Now hold with me now again, do you see? Look at verse 16. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. If he went out from the presence of the Lord, he must have been in the presence of the Lord. I suggest this is where apostasy started. Because if you read this chapter carefully, you will discover that Cain and Abel had a place and a time to bring their sacrifices. See, God's a God of order. And he had a place and he had a time somewhere at the gates of the Eden where they brought their sacrifice to God and both of them brought their sacrifices. Cain had no problem with coming to God, into the presence of God, and bringing a sacrifice with him. Neither had Abel. The sacrifices were different and they were wrong, and we know that, but we're not talking about that at the minute. So this is where he walked out of the presence of the Lord, having known all the truth that he knew. And I'll tell you about the truth that he knew in a minute, for he knew more than I knew when I was saved. Cain. And that's an apostate. I think that's where apostates. Look at verse 17. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch, and he builded the city. And this is where the building started. And called the name of the city after the name of, of his son. Named the city after the name of his son. With walls and streets and houses and countries named after men. The bought, Jesus says, the sold, the planted, the builded in the days of Noah. So shall it be in this day. And if I was doing a study of that tonight, I could take a night in each of these things and, and, and show you that we're in the last days. So you have murdering and you have apostatizing and you have building. Look at verse 19. And Lamech took unto him two wives. What did God say in the chapter 2 before that? 
This is complete and utter rebellion. This is, this is monogamy, monogamy. Two wives. And complete and utter rebellion against what God has taught them. And look at where that has ended. Look at where that is tonight. Look at where it has ended with the transgenderism, with the sodomites. Look at verse 20. And Ada bare Jabal, he was the father of such as dwell in tents and of such as of cattle. That word cattle there is the word business. Business. He had the business, all this one man had all the, all the meat business sewed up. One big, coming to the last days, one big, one boy or two boys going to own the whole thing anyway. That's all ministry on its own that I don't, I'm not going into tonight. And look at verse 21 if you want to know where the entertainment and the devil's music come from. God loves music and God has given us all these things, marriage and music and business and buildings and all God has given for our own good. But when the devil gets a hold of them, and that's what happened here, the devil got a hold of it. Look at verse 21. And his brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all, as handled the harp and the organ. And all we could go. That the devil hijacked all these lovely blessings of God because of the fall. What ministries here for the last days when Jesus says as it was in the days of Noah and the days of Lot? Now, let's look at Cain and Abel as a close. Same teaching. They knew the doctrine of redemption. They knew the doctrine of substitution. They knew the doctrine of atonement. They knew the story very well from their father and mother and how do I know? Because Abel followed it. Abel knew about the lamb of the sacrifice and he knew about the blood and he knew about substitution. He knew that they took the lamb instead of them. He knew that God in his mercy and his grace and the atonement, the blood and the cross and all was out there and they knew, he knew it, Abel knew it and Cain knew it. But then he rebelled. He rebelled. What Abel knew, he knew. When did this shifting and shaking and rattling start with this boy? When, 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 when? It says, it says that he was wroth in verse 6. Look at what God, and the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? That word wrath is blazing with anger. Blazing with a burning zeal of anger. What was his problem? Why did this man fly into an awful rage when probably out in the field there Abel was telling them that he would need to bring the sacrifice that God said? I think they spoke in the field. We don't know what they spoke about. But immediately after the conversation, he slew him. 
So it must have been that Abel, who was the man of faith, we read in Hebrews 11, it must be that Abraham was telling him, now Cain, listen, the sacrifice that you're bringing is wrong. We need a sacrifice of blood. There has to be a sacrifice of blood brought to the altar, not the works of your hand. Not all that you do all day and all that you do, and, and the flowers are lovely and the foliage is lovely. The foliage is lovely and the fruit is lovely and it's lovely and I'm sure it was and I'm sure he worked very hard and he was bringing it into the right place and bringing it in at the right time and just as people come into church and they come to the right place and they come at the right time and, and they'll bring their offerings and they'll bring everything else and they'll thank God and they'll even thank God that they're saved. Do you hear what I'm saying now? They'll thank God for the gospel and they'll thank God for what their mother and father has taught them from the gospel and they'll have no problem doing that and they'll sing the hymns and they'll break bread and they'll do all the rest. But here what the problem was, you know what the problem was when they came to the cross? That's the problem. That's when he went into the rage, the blood. Now how do I apply that to carnal Christians? I apply it like this. We'll go so far, but no further. Many of God's people are carnal and lethargic and cold tonight with no fire, no zeal, no desire for the prayer meeting because they'll not come and surrender at the foot. They'll not take up the cross. They'll not take up the cross. They'll come to the cross and we come to the cross and thank God for But to get on the cross and die, that's a different thing. That's when the raid, I have saw the raid starting. Talking about spirit-filled life and talking about surrendering all. Well, I'm just happy and content the way I am. Well, that's all right. If you want to go through with God tonight and if people want to go through with God and go on with God and see victory from God, you'll have to take up the cross and it's going to be sifting. If any man follow me, Jesus said, let him take up his cross and follow me. And I will make you. There's a complete and utter surrender at the cross where men and women need to get down before God and say, Lord, if there's anything in my life that's not right, I want it crucified. I want it crucified. I'll not go on another day, Lord, without being baptized if I'm a believer. I'll not go on another day rejecting the Lord. I'll not go on another day without being at the Lord's table. I'll not go on another day without surrendering my life fully unto the Lord and letting him take over. I'll not go on another week where I'll give a tenth of my tithe to the Lord. I'll not go on another week but I'll tell others that Jesus died for me. And I'll not go on another week or another day when I'll say, Lord, here am I, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my business, take my job, take my home, take my family, take my wife. All I want is you. He wasn't prepared for that. No, no, he wasn't prepared for that. Don't need that. Well, then you remain a carnal 
immature believer. Because if the cross means anything, it means everything. If the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was stripped naked and hung on an old cross, and says to you, take up the cross and follow me. Follow me. It's a crucified life. We preach Christ crucified, not philosophized, not publicized, not idolized. We preach Christ crucified, the crucified Christ, the crucified life is a life of victory and resurrection power. That's where we started. That's where we started. We start at the foot of the cross. There'll be plenty of sifting, mania. There'll be plenty of rattling. There'll be plenty of shaking. The devil will do everything to keep you back. He'll do everything to keep you out of membership. He'll do everything to keep you out of the table. He'll do everything to keep you out of the, out of the tank. He'll do everything he can to make sure that you spend hours doing everything but not with the Lord. But he wants your whole life consecrated fully unto him if we're going to go on in these last days. It's unprecedented what's coming down the line. And COVID-19 was the beginning of a sifting in the church. It was the beginning of a sifting in the church. And God stood back and he seen who he had. And it has proved to be right that that's what it was. Now we see where things are. Now we see who's who. And if any of them, them boys would have a bit of godliness about them at all, they'd apologize for what they said. There was a sifting. And it's going to get deep now. It's going to get deep. And there's only those that will survive the sifting who are immersed at the foot of the cross full of the Holy Ghost, open to God. And they'll be blessed. And it's through them. It's always been through the remnant that the blessing, the blessing will come. It's just coming up to nine o'clock. Let us pray.